There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hi, Pierre. Hey, good morning. Thank you so much uh, for inviting me on. And thank you for all the sweet things all of you have been saying. Well, no, uh, we don't. uh, Pierre, let me be blunt. Our show isn't damn long enough to say all the things. (laughs) Uh, You moved me. Um, obviously all four of us have watched a lot of stuff on, on social media, but I was so mm-hmm. moved. I was so moved by you in the soundbite there that you told my buddy Kelly, you and your friend, Emma, hi, Emma, uh, you guys, uh, jumped in the car and came to Minneapolis. What was it? What drove you Pierre? So actually I was in my room. Uh, I go to school at Bradley university in Peoria, Illinois. And I was sitting in my room Thursday and I was watching the news and I was watching the video and then I was doing more research and then I was watching the video and then I was doing more research. And then on my third time seeing the video, um, I just broke down. I started crying. And if you know anything about me, like I'm not a crier, I'm pretty like, I'm usually the rock, but I just kind of broke down. And it was around 11 o'clock Thursday night that I contacted Emma and I was like, hey, I'm driving up. Do you have a place for me to stay? And she was like, absolutely. My family would love to host you. And so I went to bed. I got up, went to work. And then after work, I left at 2 p.m., drove the seven hours, got in pretty late. There was traffic. There was curfew, a lot of things that I had to get around. But so I got in. Uh, they had a place for me to sleep. And then that morning, Emma and I got up at 9 a.m. and started walking around and finding things to do. So it was really the hopelessness that I was feeling for the country, uh, for the death of George, that really drove me to come and try to make a difference, whether it was protesting, whether it was cleaning up, whether it was salvaging the food. And luckily, I was able to do all of those things. Pierre Paul is our guest, Lex. Wow. And you just started cleaning and then people just started joining. Uh, that is the kind of support that you mentioned in, in the bite that we played. Uh, can you expand on that a little bit more? Absolutely. That's needed? Um, so Emma and I started walking uh, from a different location and we stopped at um, the adult school for the disabled and we helped them clean graffiti off the walls and then we kept migrating and then we helped some other people. And then we tried to graf- tried to clean graffiti off the wall at the back of the Target but we didn't have any of the supplies. So we decided to walk to the front and the door was cracked and we opened up the target door and just water started pouring out. Mm. And I remember feeling that same hopeless feeling that I had when I was sitting on my couch that drove me to come to Minneapolis. And so we stepped in and I sat on one of the shelves and there were people walking in with cameras and people like grabbing stuff and they were just like filming the water, but nobody was doing anything. Mm -hmm. And so Emma sits next to me and we're sitting there and I'm just silent just looking at, what's, looking at what has happened. And Emma asked, 
would want to do. And I say, well, somebody has to start it. And so I pick up a shelf and I move it outside. And Emma picks up a shelf and we move it outside. And then all of a sudden, 10 people see us from the door. And they're like, hey, what are you guys doing? How can we help? And we're like, well, right now we're trying to get some of the water out to make the store easier for when a Target can come back. And then we're going to get Target on the phone and we're going to make sure that they're okay with us taking the food and giving it to nonprofits, food banks, churches. And they're like, all right, sounds great. So people get creative and we start using the shelves to shovel out water. We start using brooms to shovel out water. And then 10 more people show up. And then they're like, what can we do? What can we do? And then a young lady approaches me and she was like, how can I help? And I was like, if you could get the Target executives on the phone, that would be amazing. Like get headquarters on the phone, make sure that they are okay with us taking this food and giving it to people in need just in case like it would be a large problem for them. And this young woman was like, absolutely. She left for an hour, came back, left for an hour, came back. And then she finally got the okay. We got the confirmation code from Target. And then I was like, everybody start calling nonprofits, start calling any organization who can need this food, start calling churches, call friends. Let's get this food to people who need it. And then we are, then at this point, like there are hundreds of people, we're all working. um, And then a guy who was there from the beginning, he actually saw Em and I in the store right when we started. He was one of the first ones. He was wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt. He tapped me on the shoulder. He was like, hey, uh, can you do me a favor? I was like, yeah, what's up? He was like, can you turn around? And so I'd been looking into Target for so long that I didn't even realize what was happening behind me. But I turned around and the parking lot was flooded with people. Mm. And this was Saturday afternoon. And so the parking lot was flooded with people. And so I take a second and I'm like, hey, I just want to thank you guys so much. Like, you're all doing exactly what you need to be doing. It says a lot about who you are as people. And I think what it boils down to, because, like, us cleaning up, at least I didn't intend it to be, like, a counter-protest. Like, I found it a way of protesting for justice. But the way that I see it, everybody who was out there, they decided that they would rather be on the front lines fighting for justice than be on the sidelines waiting for justice. And I think that says a lot about Minnesota. It says a lot about Minneapolis. It says a lot about all of these people because I am an outsider and they treated me with so much hospitality and they gave me the opportunity to lead. I've always been taught that you can only gain power when others give you power and then you can only get more power once you give that power back. So they were giving me power to lead. I was giving them power to lead me. And it was just a tug of war, but in the best way possible. So we're cleaning up. Yes. Pardon me. Do you, number one, do you want to move here? (laughs) (laughs) We need you. Can can we have you? And uh, and do you want to run for office? Because I think you have. Or would you you like to host a uh, (laughs) semi-successful morning radio show, Pierre? Please. Join us. uh, Your your inner light. I mean, this is just an amazing story. You know, you, you found strength in a place that, was despair and then you inspired other people and we can't thank you enough for this this is we've we've felt so hopeless over the last week people don't know what to do with themselves mm-hmm. and i from the bottom of our hearts from this entire community thank you so much for coming here and doing this and finding that within yourself so you can inspire others oh it is my yes. pleasure and again i i really appreciate all the nice things you all are saying and i have to say like the heroes for me were these individuals who made me feel so welcome. Because when it came to getting the trash trucks out there, we were trying to call the city and we weren't mm-hmm. getting responses, but the Sudanese American Collective, they mm-hmm. drove up and they were like, hey, are you Pierre? And I'm like, hey, it's nice to meet you. Um, and they're like, we got some trash trucks. Tell us when you want them here tomorrow. So this was yesterday, Sunday. 
and we'll get them here for you. And then different people, so many people were allowing me to be there. And if I could say all of the protesters' names, all of the helpers' names, I would if I could. But sadly, like, it was just in passing. We exchanged some numbers. We exchanged pleasantries. I made lifelong friends, even though I don't know their names. But those are the heroes because Mm. I can pick up as many shelves as I want. But without that beautiful army behind me, we wouldn't have been able to accomplish what we did. Pierre, can you stick around for one more segment, my friend? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. More uh, with our with our new buddy and soon to be new host here on my talk. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Pierre Paul, when we return (laughs) special edition of Jason and Alexis in the morning on my talk. Seven one. I'm Jace. Along with Alexis, Dawn, and Kenny. We're going to be on the air for a special edition uh, through 10 a.m. today. Uh, more with our uh, our new friend, uh, Pierre Paul. Uh, he led a giant, giant uh, cleaning effort uh, at the Target on Lake Street. Uh, Kenny, take it away, my friend. Yeah, I've got a bunch of questions for you, Pierre. Good morning, and thank you very much. Uh, first question, are you sticking around for a few days? Um. So I plan to stay a little bit throughout today because after I do these interviews, uh, I plan to go back out on Lake Street, see if there's any more help needed, and then I plan to drive back to Illinois, unless I have okay. another reason to stay. Okay, uh, because my follow-up questions were, what are you going to be doing? And number three, do you need my help? I've got a big truck, uh, lots of tools and equipment, and uh, we can form a cleanup task force if you want and go to wherever you you need me. I'll uh, I'll let Don give you my phone number. Uh, because well, he doesn't me give that and... to anyone. Yeah, Pierre. Pierre yeah, yeah. We've worked with him for years. Lucky. We don't even we don't even know don't his know last name, number. Pierre. This is a big deal. We don't even know his last name. Uh, so uh, I, I'm willing to help, and you know, and I'm like just everybody else here from the inner city all the way out to the suburbs and the outskirts. People 50 miles away are rolling into town to help, and we all want to help. So if you have any ideas at all, you got to let us know. We'll get it out on Twitter uh, and social, and we'll put it on the air, and uh, we'll do whatever it takes. Uh, we just want to follow your lead and, and do what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. No, 1,000%. I made some great connections. I'll contact them after this. Um, I know I'm starting to go to Lake Street around uh, 12 o'clock today and just keep moving up and down Lake Street. So that sounds amazing. That would be super beneficial. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Pierre, Give where, my phone number, Don. I will. And his last name, because again, we don't even know his last name. But uh, <laughs> Pierre, Pierre, where does yeah. the, where does this drive come from? I mean, we, we you know right off the top, we learned that you know you're not a crier, but we want to know where does this drive come from? Um, so that's that's a great question. So I was born in Brazil, and then I moved to Guyana, and then my mother, my siblings, and I stayed in Guyana when my dad came to the U.S to raise enough money to bring us to America to have a better way of life. Um, so I definitely know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to work hard. I know what it's like to put a lot of emphasis on education. And the example that my parents set for me and kind of some of the hate and disdain that I faced when I came to the United States for the first time all drove me to a place of making sure that others didn't feel that, making sure that others didn't have that experience. Um, so I used those experiences to guide me to places like where I am right now. I trust my gut. I trust my feelings. I know the difference between right and wrong, even though it's subjective. Um, I love the morality that I have, and I use it to guide other people. And so I feel like that's really what 
um, helped empower me to do all of these things. It's the people who have mentored me throughout the years. It's people who have guided me, people who have allowed me to learn from their mistakes and learn from my own mistakes. Those are the things that really help me grow to be a better person and then grow to gladly be a person that people are content letting lead them um, and hopefully leading them in the right direction. I'd say those are really the motivations um, that have guided me throughout my lifetime. What are you studying in college, may may I ask? No, that's okay. Um, I got my undergrad in political science. Uh Surprise, surprise. Um, (laughs) And I'm currently working on my master's in nonprofit leadership, and I'm a hall director on campus. I'll be finished in May, and then I'll be looking to change the world. Wow. Well, uh, we'll give you a copy of this interview. You just hand that in. To anybody you're trying to get a job with and go, just listen to this. <laughs> you're so well-spoken and you're only 21 years Aww. old. I just, wow, we what a shining light you are uh, for our community, uh, really. You, and to thank focus, you so much. And, and really happy that you're focusing back on what's important, and that is justice, and that yes. is Black Lives Matter. Because you Absolutely. said when you came and here. I, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. I Looking at the situation... I was really trying to rack my brain figuring out solutions because we are really good at pointing out problems. But if we brought two solutions to every problem that we could muster up, we probably wouldn't have as many problems. Um, But that's the hard part. It's easy to create solutions. It's easy to create problems and talk about problems, but it's harder to create solutions. But when it comes to justice, um, I think it all comes back to reform that needs to happen inside the criminal justice system and being able to recognize that morally we aren't in a right place to understand why these things are happening. Yes. yes. People are so quick to assume that it's because they're angry, it's because they're aggressive, it's because they're, and it's like, you're right, we are angry. Yes. Like, we are angry we because rightfully be. so, yes. there has been years and years of negativity and racial discrimination being forced, forced upon us. And I don't want to dive too deep into a history lesson because I know some people are already tuning me out. But just I'll try to get no, this really. You, no, we don't. You go no, ahead. No. If they're tuning out, we don't. Yes, go ahead. Yes. Okay. Sounds. So when we're looking through the criminal justice system, mm-hmm. the first organized police force was formed in about 1751. But in the early 1700s, they had the slave patrol. It wasn't actually like an organized system. There were just people who, out of the goodness of their hearts, and I really do mean that sarcastically, would go and find slaves and take them back to their masters would hang them by trees, would brutalize them. Mm-hmm. And that happened 1700s to the 1750s. Then from the 1750s to the 1800s, there were still massive amounts of racial discrimination. There were still lynchings. There were still terrible things happening throughout this time. And the justice system was not created in a way that made it prosperous to be black in America. No. So now we're into the 1800s, and the fight for equality is still happening. Blacks are still being murdered and brutalized. And people aren't understanding that blacks are human as well. Because when slaves were brought to the country, they had to be turned into animals so other human beings could put their morals aside to Mm. put Mm. black people in cages. So when people talk about, well, blacks are aggressive and blacks are angry and blacks are this and that, it's like, well, that stereotype, we haven't been able to shake that stereotype, even though, ironically, the people who created the stereotypes were the ones putting human beings in cages and dehumanizing them. And also, yes, yes the ones that are animalistic, per se. But moving forward, so we're getting into the Jim Crow era now. 
And some people are coming around and starting to see that maybe this isn't right. But for the most part, there's still brutalization happening. There's still murder happening. And there's still massive amounts of racial discrimination. So now we're into the Jim Crow era. And that lasted until 1955. Mm. So I'm not great at math, but if I'm not mistaken, that's about 55 years ago when the Jim Crow laws stopped having a chokehold, hypothetically stopped having a chokehold on blacks in America. And mm. when I say stop having a chokehold, like there's an asterisk next to it because we are still feeling the effect of that. 55 years is not nearly enough time to start seeing reform in a justice system that nobody was trying to reform in the first place. Mm -hmm. Because when we go back to the 1700s and realize that the slave patrol became the police officers in the 1750s, and then the 1750s to the 1800s, those were also the same police officers that were cycling in and out. They were training new officers through the 1800s through the Jim Crow era, and now we're getting past the Jim Crow era, 1965, and people are confused as to how the criminal justice system can still be racially insensitive. But this isn't something opinionated. This is just looking at it factually. Right? And the kicker is reforming the criminal justice system in retrospect is actually the easy part. The hard yeah. part is getting people to realize that morally we aren't even in a place to realize that there's a problem. Yeah. There are some people yeah. who still are not able to conceptualize why people feel as though things why people feel as though blacks can never get justice in this nation. Well, and people look back to, pardon me? I know, and isn't that because I think when people think of the concept of racism, Pierre, and correct me if I'm wrong, they think of the concept of racism as outward hate. But racism can also manifest itself as systems working against a certain, uh, a certain demographic of people. Exactly. Exactly. Couldn't have worded it better myself. That's exactly it. People are only seeing racism as this outward projection. No. When in actuality, we have to look intrinsically because even though morality is very subjective, if your internal morals can't even allow you to take off your blinders to see that there's racial injustice happening around you, how can we ever have a productive conversation as a nation if people aren't ready to listen? Because reforming the criminal justice system, that's a system that can people can go in and people can do that all they want. But until we have people who are willing to figure out what's wrong with the morality of our actions, we're not going to be able to fix it. People look back to um, the Civil Rights Act that uh, was signed by Lyndon B. Johnson. was like, well, that, that ended everything. No. But it didn't. No. It, it was, didn't. It's just... It's just one part of it. Pierre, we are up against exactly. the we are up against the clock. I, I gotta tell you, uh, yeah. don't hang up when we leave you. Dawn's gonna get you Kenny's information. But I just want to okay. end by saying this. Uh, minutes ago, you said that you want to finish school and change the world. I gotta tell you, my friend, you already are. You already are. And we appreciate yes, your time. So we appreciate you being here. I don't need to say good luck, uh, but good luck to you, my dear friend. Thank you so much yeah. for having me. It's been a pleasure. And thank you to all of the people who helped me yesterday, all of the people who led me and let me lead. Thank you again. Thank you. Pierre, Paul, everyone. We'll be back after these messages. Hey.